0: Back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Again, you are listening to the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. I am your host, Morris Beagle. Welcome to the show. And Welcome to the show. Today is episode nine of season four here on the Let's Talk Hemp Volume Up podcast. In this episode, I reconnect with one of my mentors and a true global hemp visionary, Paul Benham. Paul has been in the hemp game since the 1990s and is founder to Hemp Foods Australia, Elixinol Wellness, and the Hemp Plastic Company, as well as authoring nine books, including Modern Introduction to Hemp and Growing Hemp for Profit. Paul joins us today from the land down under in the Southern Hemisphere, and we'll take a trip around the world as we cruise through a lot of Paul's career in the hemp industry over the last 25 to 30 years. Before we do that, I want to give a shout out to my Episode 8 guest, Mariel Weintraub from the U.S. Hemp Authority, for the great conversation on Delta 8 THC and all the noise surrounding that debate. If you didn't catch the episode, you can download it and listen to it on demand at your convenience from a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio podcast. And now I'm going to get Paul on the line and we'll talk about the fabulous attributes of hemp, human consciousness, and even a little bit of fantastic fungi. No matter what side of the fence you sit, we can all agree that hemp is good for this country. Whether it's the new opportunities it presents for our farmers, the jobs it creates in our communities, the health products that are entering the marketplace, or the positive environmental impact it has on this planet, there are endless reasons to be a Friend of Hemp. Please join Friends of Hemp today to connect with others who are cheering hemp forward. Visit friendsofhemp.org to learn how you can become a Friend of Hemp. And we're back. Let's Talk Hemp Volume Up, Episode 9, and I've got my good friend Paul Benham from way down under in the the Southern Hemisphere. How are you doing today, Paul?
1: Well, I'm doing awesome today, Morris. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in Australia. I'm looking at the large, tall eucalyptus trees, even I can spot a koala, watching the kangaroos jumping around. So very, very grateful to be alive in a one of the few places in the world where we don't have lockdowns, we don't have any challenges here, except um, daily life.
0: That's awesome to hear. In honor of speaking with you today, I decided to wear my ACDC shirt. Love ACDC, who doesn't? Exactly. One of the greatest rock bands of all time by far indeed
1: even though i mean i guess you know that even though i'm based in australia for 21 years now i'm english originally you know you could wear a pink floyd t-shirt if you liked and i would love that <laughs> or, or any you know so i come from a good music good humored country and now i live in australia in which they have some good music with acdc and
0: sometimes they have a good humor yeah isn't silver chair from australia do you remember that band
1: no, sorry. Like the,
0: they were around like ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah. Kind of hard rock band.
1: Mhm. Mhm.
0: And when did you move to Australia? Uh,
1: nineteen ninety nine. End of turn of the century. I was kind of made made a choice. I didn't really move here till two thousand, I guess, permanently. Yeah, came over, stayed in Brisbane to help a hemp company create particular, particularly the food side of their business which I had been successful with in UK and Europe, and I proceeded to do my best there, but found that the legislation that I thought might take a year or two to change to allow hemp foods, and I came from Europe where hemp foods had never been illegal, but hemp foods were illegal when I first came to Australia, ended up taking 17 years of my life. So um, that, and, and I already committed to Australia by having a child here, who is now a grown-up child, and so I decided to live in this beautiful part of the world, loving the geography, loving the freedom and the space of a first-world country that still has that space. And, yeah, that made, turned my career in hemp foods to be a little bit more wide, where I ended up writing you know, lots of books, nine books, writing hemp business courses, supporting other people um, being successful in their hemp businesses, so that's what I kind of did for the first 10 or 15 years. I also worked in a health retreat. That's the only, only job I've ever done outside of hemp since I was um, 16, which is only a few years ago, of course. But that was awesome, working in a, a high-end a health resort, helping people with natural, natural plants and natural methods to heal from significant symptoms slash diseases, people coming there with cancer and different things like that and I was able to support them some of the best psychologists physiotherapists natural plant and natural foods It's when I was really into raw foods for a period of time and yeah that was that was fun but was I guess only a brief look away from hemp because that then I started seeing people in the UK in, in Australia uh, starting to sell hemp seeds even though it was illegal and I thought wow um, that's brave number one but number two the quality of hemp seeds they were selling were awful and the price was super high and i was like this is this can't be how people first experience hemp seeds um, hemp seeds are, can be really tasty and don't need to be so expensive so i thought okay that's it i'm just going to at least supply it to my friends and imported some and i did that on the understanding that you can actually get hemp seeds into australia as long as a they didn't germinate and B, they weren't sold as a food. So I said, well, how can they be sold if they're not as a food? Well, that's where the topical side of it came on. And I said, well, you can rub hemp seeds into your skin because at the health clinic that I was working at, we were teaching about body scrubs and we were using coffee. It's like, well, I can't use hemp seeds. There's no reason why you can't. It's got these good oils in it. And so it kind of was a joke, but it's also kind of a real way to get around the legislation as you know, I don't like to use the word loophole because it was legal to do that. And people liked that idea that I could sell it as a topical and I found that, I, you know, I ended up pushing that and creating a sticker, which had a map of the world on it, where only Australia and New Zealand were in black and the rest of the world was in white. And I said, you can only consume these in, in the countries that are colored in white. And if, you, if any, any other country, you must use this as topical and it became a very famous sticker, very amusing to lots of people, and I think ended up becoming quite a good marketing tool, which wasn't the case. It was more of a legal disclaimer for me, but was a fun way to communicate, I guess, a serious issue. And I basically grew that business from a an idea just selling to friends to a small, in from my garage to a small warehouse to end up a large warehouse, which is where we're still in today. And we've expanded to the, the buildings outside of where we are, um, producing hemp foods. And we ended up buying lots of machinery, producing, getting export awards, grants, selling you know, millions of dollars worth of hemp seeds when it was still Ill- illegal as a food. And even had politicians come around enjoying hemp as a food. And their advisors saying, you can't consume this, you know. they say, oh, of course you can. It's obvious that it's, it's healthy for you. And it was when I started hearing um, some politicians and their advisors saying that, I realised, well, that this is going to be legal very soon. And obviously it, it did become legal only like four, five, five, six years ago now here in Australia as a food. Um, and it's grown ever since. Yeah, a long road. I don't advise anyone waiting for 17 years to
0: change any piece of legislation, but it was fun. So that was Hemp Foods Australia that you started in 1999. Is that correct?
1: That is correct, and that, it was originally started as a partnership in, in, in there, it was 50-50 partnership. And then I ended up taking that back a, a few years later when we realised that it wasn't going to progress after the after legalising food was turned around a couple of times. And then I took Hemp Foods Australia back myself, but it kind of sat around not doing anything for many years before, you know, as I explained, I, I moved
0: into selling hemp foods as a cosmetic right and during that time you also discovered the plastic and bio side of the material as well correct
1: well i actually discovered the bio side of bioplastic side of hemp and the possibility when i was first studying hemp in the early 90s and um, i learned from um in Jack Herrera's book that Henry Ford was one of the first people to make a hemp plastic car and I love that story I love that that picture of him with yielding an axe against the car and it bouncing off I found that fascinating Um, and promoted it for a few years in the UK while I was selling my food you know as one of the many uses of hemp which is why I love the plant and it has it really truly does have a number of uses that are all commercial it doesn't have 500,000 uses as some people say, but it does have a number more than two or three, which is far more than most plants do. And hemp plastics being one of those ideas that I loved. And as I was becoming successful, making some money in 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 selling foods in the UK and, and Europe, I realised that no one was actually doing anything since Henry Ford. So I and I thought the reason was when I looked into it that it was, and I was told that oh well, researching. To great great composite plastics is very expensive and not very easy and you were com- competing against the big petrochemical companies and when people say that I'm like oh great that's even more of a reason to do it so I thought I'd find a way to do that and thankfully I, I had and it wasn't until I met I had a friend who I used to go hiking with in the Snowdonia mountains of North Wales who worked in the biocomposite unit of, of Northwest Wales, they said, hey, well, I work in a biocomposite unit. Why don't I help you? And he was interested in hemp and growing some hemp at the time to create the um, UK's first fibre decortication facility. So um, I said, great, let's do some trials and I'll see if I can you know, get this commercialised. So he did some work on that for me and created our first product, which he had a mould for, which was a Frisbee and we created a hand plastic frisbee called high fly uh, which i have around me somewhere and um, that was awesome and we decided we can print people's stickers on labels on and so we sent it around to all my friends and people like you know ben Drunkers in the hash museum and Sensi seeds put their stickers on there was a whole bunch of different companies that used it as a business card so i thought wow this is really cool let me choose a commercial product for it and i said well and at the time, CDs and DVDs were still in existence. And I didn't know much about them, except they're everywhere. And I thought, well, you know, artists, musicians, they actually have a bit the big, they were the biggest influencers at the time in the 90s, at least from my perspective. And I said, well, if I can get these influencers or slash musicians who sing about the environment or good things that I believe that they were aware about these things. And it was still quite taboo or early stages in those days that they could actually spread the message in the, about hand plastics. So I ended up, I wrote to lots of um, these musicians and it, it was over a few year period. And I ended up getting some conversations with some of these high profile musicians, which was cool, speaking to some famous people and getting some letters back. And some of them were like, "Yeah, we think that's an awesome idea. Go for it. Here's our manager's contact details." So yeah, when I, then I went to the managers, and they were very much high-strung business people, full stop. And they were like, "Great, if you want to make hemp plastics CD cases, yeah, we can do that. How much cheaper is it than regular plastics?" And I was like, "Well, it's only a little bit more expensive. And it was like thirty percent more expensive at that time," and they're like. No, 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 no. And I was just surrounded by no's and it didn't take me long to realize that the CD, and DVD, physical music was on its way out and digital music was on its way in. And there was no way that they were going to spend more on something that was on its way out. So that kind of was the end of my look at hemp plastics in the 90s slash early two thousand until about five, maybe 10 years later, when this is after the health resort, why I moved back out of the health resort, back into hemp. When someone I had met in Europe, again, in the nineties, I had this material that I'm also surrounded by here, made from 100% hemp, that was as strong as stone. And and, um, he basically came back to me and said, hey, can you help me commercialize it? We've tried everything in Europe to do this, in Austria. And we haven't made, you know, made it commercial yet. And I was like, wow, a material that's 100% hemp, stronger than stone. This has got to be one of the best materials. And I still believe that today that, that exists. And so I spent five years trying to commercialize that with these guys. Sadly, did not succeed. It was one of my, in brackets, failures. I call it a learning experience. And I certainly may learn a whole bunch of lessons from that. Amazing material, but I I realized at the end of that five years that for me, I I didn't see a pathway that it could be commercialized for a long time. And that was, I guess, about 10 years ago today. And and, and there are other people that continue to work at it and still have not yet commercialized. um, Is that Xeoform? That is, yeah, form Zelfo was what we called it in the day, and it was called other things before that. So the name keeps changing, and each iteration of management yes, but the material remains the same. Um, Didn't you make a didgeridoo a or several didgeridoos out of that? Uh, yeah, didgeridoos are one of the few things that actually work really well. The shape of a didgeridoo is perfect for this material. Yeah, I have about 10 of those like you have behind you guitars. I have 10 to 10 didgeridoos. They are phenomenal for didgeridoos, not only because of the shape, but the acoustic properties are absolutely amazing. So, yeah, so that continues today. You can still buy 100% hemp do and they're not cheap because they're handmade. But if you like a high-quality instrument, then I don't think there's any better available in the world. So... Yeah but again as i said that that showed me it wasn't commercial for for a couple of reasons probably the biggest reason that i recognized was that it didn't use regular production equipment so why go and produce something that that people had to invest in machinery for had to do something different for because it's a bit like the cd case is being a little bit more expensive than the regular well if you have a little bit more processing equipment actually it doesn't work people are very reluctant to change particularly in industries where they don't need to i mean right now i mean, literally right now plastics have been for the last three three months even regular petrochemical plastics have been unavailable to industry so even people who are producing hundreds of millions of pounds of plastics every year cannot access plastics and that's partly because of covid because of the you know the suez canal freight issues um that held up plastics in in large quantities why do something when they could they literally printing money every day long and and thinking they're doing a great thing using up our world's resources and putting them in into the ocean and killing all anyway. I won't go down that rant today, about and I'm sure we'll realize why petrochemicals are not the most ideal thing for many objects. I won't say all because for some maybe they work. So yeah, so that those lessons existed and that for me. And it was only again maybe four, five, four years ago now, where someone came up to me and said, Hey, I have got a technology where we can use the hemp plant and make plastics cheaper than regular plastics. And I was like, okay, you got my attention. And my my first major question was, can you use existing machinery for it to be injection molded, blow molded, rotor molded, whatever, extruded, all these different technologies? And his answer was yes. So I was like, okay, great. That's it. I'm going to have to start another business, aren't I? Um, and that was um, so, I, I, and so you know, I did, we decided um, to, to be partners in that business. And I said, well, look, you know, I'll help grow that business. And it's been four years and we've done a lot of work in, you know, what was really more of an idea. We had some basic technical you know, stuff done where it was possible, but we've got to a stage at the hemp plastic company now where we can literally use any waste material from any hemp processing so that that exists in all parts of the industry food medicine fiber etc we can take all of their waste products as well as their virgin products but we prefer waste products because i like to create zero waste in any industry and we have patented methods 14 patents right now actually and we can take these products process them and still compound them with plastics regular plastics some of which are plant-based some of which are biodegradable some of which aren't and take those into new materials that can go through regular processes and be close to the price of regular plastics today but we know that in significant volume and i say significant volume we're talking hundreds of millions of pounds and we can make it cheaper than regular plastics so uh, i know that's my vision is to produce hemp and, and plant-based plastics that are cheaper than regular plastics that have same or better properties than regular plastics and we can do that for a number of materials today. It's slightly more expensive, but very slightly, not much more. So, we'll. So, when you're talking about making a product from it, you know, the cost difference in making a product is virtually zero if you take it down to the the, the product price. Um, and there's only a matter of cents when you're taking it on the per pound raw material price. And the hemp plastic company, you know, we made a decision very early on that, that you know, again. For me, I've been in this industry, the hemp industry, for long enough now that I'm only going to get involved with things that I truly believe have a different, have a potential to make a significant difference on this planet, and we we need to make a significant difference and quickly. And I believe that the way to do that through hemp plastics is to make it in massive volumes so our goal is to sell in train loads and we can do that today now so we can finally produce in train loads of of plastics that's millions of pounds we can produce and you and, know and, and, and that's what we do we supply raw materials which are the pellets that people produce through, to a number of companies and we're working with lots of companies to do that they take our bolt pellets, they do their trials, they say, We want it a little bit more tensile strength here, we want it, we can you add a little bit more UV resistance here? And then we go and tweak it with them over a period of time until we make an individual plastic, generally for, for large companies that fits exactly their need. And we're at the end of that process for a, a number, we'll say, of tier one companies um, today, they're multinational corporations who you would know and pretty much all all our listeners here would know the names of every one of those corporations um, who have all said yes to hemp plastics that are all working on those products and all very close to completing those products so I'm very excited um, to see a world where hemp plastics is not just a niche idea on the side and we're not just making wonderful musical instruments out of them um, but they're on everyday items in Walmart and and wherever um, you may see so again we're working with people in you know, the automotive industry, the clothing and brand industry, the white goods industry, a whole bunch of different industries. And they all have their own individual materials that we've managed to produce for them, patent for them, supply get supply chains ready for them and 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 give it to them at a price that, that makes their, it makes it work for them. So I really can see a world that's built from hemp plastics coming quite close. Um, And today, you know, you can go and buy a tiger cooler, you know, like an esky we call it in Australia, cooler uh, where you can put your beers in. You can hold your beer in a a recoil cooler, like you hold your your bottles or cans in that. You know, there there are products out there today, of course, you know, but they're there for us, the smaller customers who we love to support, who are doing a great job, who are leading their field. In fact, they are leading the world and what the future will be. But we're also very excited to see the quantity because for me that that's 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 about making a bigger difference to millions of people and then hopefully making a difference to lots of wildlife and ultimately our planet and our planet really needs these changes today for yeah for a couple of reasons and i know i'm going on a bit of a rant but if you don't mind i'll continue about about and you know plastics because a lot of people ask me you know hemp plastics Are they biodegradable? That's one of the first questions I used to ask, and now people ask me. And, you know, since studying plastics, I realized that actually biodegradability is not the number one thing we should be asking about plastics. Really, as a consumer, the number one thing we should be asking about plastics is do we need to use this shit? I mean, really, the best plastics are the ones that you don't use and because, you know, we should be recycling our containers and our products. We shouldn't be buying food wrapped in plastics or any processed food in in general, but it's another subject. Um, So, you know, when people ask me about biodegradability, it kind of gnaws on me a little bit. And there are appropriate times where biodegradability is, of course, important. And that's when plant-based plastics, when we mix it with other you know, with polylactic acid or other materials with hemp that can be completely biodegradable and safe for, for the environment, compostable as well. So, yeah, we can produce some of those materials and we do. Uh, but ultimately, the probably the most important thing that I've learned about hemp is the fact that it grows in such a short period of time and actually sequesters carbon which means it takes carbon from the atmosphere and locks it up in the plant. So if you're using that plant to produce plastics, well, the best use for those plastics are in objects that you keep for a very long time. So, you know, making a cheap throwaway cup from plastics, you know, yeah, you can make it biodegradable, but that's not an efficient or sustainable use of plastics in my personal opinion. And uh, what is more sustainable, and it doesn't mean we won't do that, it's got a step in the right direction, of course, from using plastics that you're going to use and finish in five minutes and then they're going to be around for hundreds of years. So yeah, we can improve on that. But even better is to produce a cup that is going to last hundreds of years, where you know you're not going to throw it away. You know, so something that's plastic and solid and in in and same with chairs. You know, you want to make chairs that are not going to break and snap. You want to make solid, thick chairs that are going to lock up that carbon for for a long period of time. And that same, and, I, and I, I learned a lot about that. And there's a lot of data actually in the hemp building industry about that. And that's part of the reason why building from hemp is also one of the few industries I see in hemp that really has a massive future. And no, I'm not involved in hemp building yet. Um, but, um, and it is the last subject that I think I w- would be interested in. But so yeah, locking up and storing carbon, I think is a, a really important, Um, part of creating hemp based plastics
0: and so where is the hemp plastic company located and and doing all its work out of?
1: it's all in north america right now so we're all in the usa and so we're using u.s grown hemp we're processing compounding in the u.s and we're predominantly selling in the u.s as well we have a European distributor that we've just recently taken on of looking at supply, selling our products in, in Europe. And that, that's all we've done internationally so far. Again, having run numerous international businesses and having teams all over the world in my other businesses, you know, I, I've learned that you go to the largest market first, focus on that, and that is currently the U.S., and yes, we want to take our technology around the world. And plastics—one of the biggest things about plastics, certainly in bulk, which is our business—we we don't make products ourselves. We supply people who make the products for the people who sell or design and market those products. Um, we realise that the distribution, um, freight, movement of the material is actually the biggest part of the material. And material cost and sustainability as well. So for those reasons, we do intend to actually take our technology, our patents um, that we have now around the world, and use that to produce hemp plastics locally. So we will do that in Europe. We'll do that in Asia. We'll do that in Australia in the future. For now, again, North America, USA, USA is our particular focus and those hemp plastics are available now we literally can sell very large quantities of those today
0: and so do you have enough biomass and waste material to make everything that you need or are you in need of material right now
1: we have as much biomass as we need for for millions of pounds of materials but we are, as I said, talking to a number or not one or two, quite a few um, tier one companies. And if any of those take off, which I'm expecting a number of them to take off, then yes, we will need more biomass. So yes, people who have excess biomass in quantities, and please don't contact us if you've got, you know, 5, 10, 50 tonne available, and you know, we want hundreds of tonnes regularly, then yeah, please come and contact us at uh, hempplastic.com.
0: Now, you're also using post-extracted waste material that's out there, correct? Yeah, we can use that too, correct. And have you been using that? Because I'm sure there's been a lot of that the last several years.
1: Yep, yep, we are using that. That's one of one of the waste streams that we are using.
0: Right on. And what else do you got going on? You're still involved with Elixinol, which you founded, Correct.
1: Absolutely. Um, Elixinol and Hemp Foods Australia are grouped together under EXL or Elixinol Wellness, as it's now known. EXL is the ticker on the ASX and EXLLF on the OTCQX. And that is still my baby, um, still my true love. And I'm still very passionate about that business. It's had a very challenging um, year or two before this um, up till now. But really right now I am so excited about the new global team that we have put together, our CEO, board and executive team in the US for Elixir, in the Europe for Elixinol, and Australia is is absolutely fantastic. And and again, come back to our focus on people first, people and planet, which is, you know, really our focus on mission and which we'll be communicating more again about soon. Because that's why I set this business up is because I felt there was a possibility to help lots of people through some really great, healthy products. So, yeah, Lix and I still making super high quality CBD is really well known for that, is, is moving back into more innovative products. We you know we had a little bit of a break, we'll say, um, for that for a, for a year or two. But we now have an amazing innovations manager and great team. We'll be bringing out great new products. In fact, we just brought out a new super high strength ginger product that we found to mix with um, CBD. Uh, we've got new better tasting super liposomes, which is a you know, really bioavailable form of CBD and we continue to use, you know, our full spectrum or broad spectrum products with all the other minor cannabinoids in them, um, which has been standard for elixinol from the beginning, which I know is is becoming more popular for different cannabinoids. We still believe, you know, CBD is the number one cannabinoid from all the science um, research that that we've done and and we continue to invest in science to back what we do up so when we make a decision and bring out a product it's not we're not just riding another wave or just another marketing company and over the last year or two i'm sure Everyone's aware that there's been so many companies joining the bandwagon, putting their name to CBD, saying they have the best products ever. And, and, you know, we've had to just ride that wave of noise and allow a lot of those companies to come. And a lot of those companies went, actually, in the last six months as, as was expected and, and you know we're not going anywhere this is you know really uh, uh, my baby my, what, what I believe is a, a lifelong mission uh, I don't think you know I think we've only just begun to be honest um, expecting exciting things from and all, all over the world and it truly is a global company and that's part of what excites me and it comes from my my work and, and travels um, around this wonderful planet that we live on. And Hemp Foods Australia, similar, you know, still focused in Australia, but still the number one company in Australia, you know, supplying supermarkets and health food stores and lots of people directly. So we're really focused you know, in these COVID times and supporting people directly, in, in, which, which is awesome. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a
0: fun world. And speaking of world travels, didn't you go to Japan and open up the Japanese market with a lot of the hemp and CBD stuff?
1: yeah definitely spent the last a uh, number of years going back and forth to Japan helping you know our partners there in Japan set up the markets there and communicating which even led me to meeting the first lady of Japan which was very exciting yeah were some complications there about a year ago where we yeah where we had to change our relationship with Japan so we ended up uh, where we are today, which is currently we're licensing out Oluxanol in Japan while they still work through legislative challenges, like everywhere else. So I have no doubt that Japan will be back, and I think even recently we've had a word from you know Japanese authorities that you know they are intending to to you know again open more up to the health use of non psychoactive um, cannabinoids, and we'll continue to support our Japanese team. Uh, to do that um, you know, to help hopefully support their culture of hemp and they have a very long history and culture of hemp and, they're neat, and they have a very long history and culture of stress, too, that we hope to help relieve <laughs> with some of these products eventually. So, yeah, um, Elixir was is very proud to be in Japan and have supported the, the Japanese and, and the Asian culture to embrace part of their heritage, where cannabis or, or hemp, same thing for me, um, has, has, has been grown for
0: centuries. That's why we're talking hemispheres here. You're all over the place, mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. globe.
1: Indeed, I, for me, it's just like one big space, really. I mean, you know they, they call them different countries for me, they're just people with different cultures, different backgrounds, different perspectives, but we're all human beings ultimately. And I guess that that's what I believed in you know from my very young age and maybe that the exploration of other plants or fungi led me to understanding. Um, that and that's one of the other businesses i, I i've taken on recently to support um, as chairman of the board of a medicinal mushroom company because i guess mushrooms particularly psychedelic mushrooms really supported my open and awareness of the fact that we are one to some degree well you know to, uh, in in humans and that level of consciousness really supported all of my businesses and my awareness of that and exploration through you know more natural more, more not more natural sorry other natural methods such as meditation yoga and the like have led me and, and more natural living and work, being in harmony with nature um have led to my continual evolvement of that understanding so from a more i guess intuitive process that, that came through those plants and other plant medicines um i've come to you know more the science side of things and Having Stepping back from executive roles, I'm now just director roles or chairman roles in these businesses. I had more time and decided to go back and study to see what the latest in nutrition was and neuroscience. So I decided, okay, I'm going to study the brain and really get into understanding that. And it it was interesting for a while, but neuroscience very quickly led me back to... Which something that I always knew about, which was the, the microbiome ultimately, and how our brain truly is ultimately is, as Zach Bush says, is, is the computer of our bodies, and it just all it does is compute all of the complicated signals it's get, getting and um, narrows it down into something that we can handle. So, like when I'm Looking at you on my Zoom screen, I I realize that you've got lots of objects uh, made of hemp plastics and guitars. And if I'm looking at every detail while I'm talking to you, I'm processing all that information, which my brain is, In my brain has to basically cut out all of that background and focus on, uh, I'm having a talk here with Morris and my friend, and, and that's all I need to know right now, because otherwise it gets too much. So our brain is basically a filter. That's the summary, is is what I've understood, and that filter, you know, has a communication channel of information going up to it through the vagus nerve, which um, travels through our heart. Our heart center is is obviously a very important, I guess mover of information so so what comes through our heart is, is, is another subject but what I what I'm trying to get to is that the origin of all this information comes from our microbiome so I'm going to um, repeat a, a few facts that, that I've I've learned in my studies of the microbiome and it starts with looking at genes in our body so first of all it is important to recognize you know it, that mice have 26,000 genes water flea has thirty-one thousand genes. A worm has twenty thousand five hundred genes, and humans have so many more genes. No, they don't. They have twenty-one thousand genes. So humans have less genes than a water flea, and that was, you know, that's only been discovered, in, you know, in in this century. So um, it's all relatively new information. But even more interesting, and this is where the micro part comes in we have 4.4 million genes on the microbes that live on our body. So we have 21,000 genes as a human, but the microbes living on and in our body have 4.4 million genes. So by that count, we are literally just 0.5% human. So these kind of, this is science that, that brings me, you know, again, to, to the realisation or, or, or the question of what is consciousness, what, what are human beings? And, you know, so, so actually, sorry, that's 4.4 million genes all in the microbes on the body, but if you what count the ones on and in us, we, we have actually 100 trillion microbes. And when, so 100 trillion microbes on and in our body when we only have 37 trillion cells in our body, in in the human being. So there are more microbes themselves than there are cells in our entire human being. So what are we? Well, we're actually bacteria, single cell organisms, including viruses, fungi, protists, and archaea. And that's that's what we are. And if you think that 60% of the immune system uh, tissue is located around the intestines, and that for every square centimeter of skin, we have two square meters of gut lining, then you can understand that we're more our microbiome, we're more our gut than we are anything else. And, and that microbiome, when we, when we walk around, or when we, even when we're sitting by ourselves, as, as I am now in my office, you know, it's interacting with my desk, my chair, you know, everything around me. And when you go out into, into a group of people, you don't have to be close to someone to breathe around them even, but your microbes are communicating between each other. So when you imagine these things, I, 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 I truly believe that you know the space in between us is 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 big enough, but to hold hold a lot of information. But these microbiomes and, and all of this. All of these other things, apart from cells and thoughts, are part of who we are, and they connect with everything around us all the time. And ultimately, we're all connected in that way. So, from a science perspective, we're all connected. From my intuition, from my gut feeling—ah, gut feeling, intuition—that's where it comes from. That gut feeling—it's so important. So, I do my best to practice every day, you know, following my gut feeling and, and reminding myself that that gut feeling. You know is the raw information and of course it has to be translated through the heart and then through the head and that's what our practice is but we we must remember that we are all all connected in that way and that's why you know for me working people say you're a global citizen you work and you communicate to all these different cultures i you know i work with farmers i work with politicians i work with multi-trillion dollar funds and i, I work with palm, permaculture experts all of these people to me are the same, all the same. I don't speak differently to anyone in particular because there is no difference whether we're, you know, yes, you know, if you look at the Japanese culture from the outside and you look at the German culture and you look at the American culture, they all seem so different um, from from first look. But when I spend time with these people, I visit the indigenous cultures, which I have been very lucky to do in, in all of these countries that I visit because I make that a priority for me to understand where these people come from, I realized that we are just all the same, that there is no difference. We all have the basic needs of love, connection, food, housing, and all of these things, all these opinions that we seem to have and seem to make so important aren't that important, really. So I love remembering that and the fact that my studies led me immediately back to the science that that reminded me of this stuff was was great. So yeah, that's, that's my response to your, you know, I'm a global hemisphere citizen. Well, you know, we're all global hemisphere citizens. It's just, you know, we can be aware of it or not, which is why I ended up taking another position, not that I need to do any more work. I love gardening. I love, you know, picking. I just picked from about six fruit trees this morning that are all, all um, ripe, which is, which is such a pleasure. I'm having a relaxed meeting today with a friend coming over. And uh, so, you know, so, so these are all, all great things, but I still took another position with a medical mushroom company looking at in, um, investing in psychoactive um, mushrooms, particularly in terms of microdosing to support people's healing in terms of, of PTSD and depression, etc. They're looking at these things. But I believe that in general, psychoactive mushrooms are, are one, of the, the, one of the ways that humans can tap in to that connectedness that we all have and it is that connectedness that we all have that we don't we don't need mushrooms we don't need substances we don't need anything but we're part of that you know mushrooms are everywhere i think every feet every every step we take in a forest there's hundreds of miles of mycelium beneath us So, you know, mushrooms are probably the most widespread organism on the planet. So, you know, we think we're clever and we've taken over and I'm fucked up, sorry for my English there, Um, most of the planet because we have. But mushrooms are better. They're everywhere. They're more places than we know. And we're learning that trees do communicate with each other and they use the mycelium network to to communicate. So all those people who watch Star Trek, you know, there is science behind that that series. And there is reasons why people understand about the mycelium mycelium network so yeah mushrooms are i guess the first thing outside of hemp or cannabis that that i've chosen to be connected with and and to support because you know again i I think it's it's just it's another way that we can be reminded of how we're all connected living together
0: that's well said and people should check out the fantastic fungi movie that paul stamets put out because that's a a great movie great doc and uh very educational and i i've definitely been more into the mushroom thing the last several years as well microdosing Mm -hmm. is great Mm -hmm. and not only just from that the psychedelic side of things but the functional food side Mm -hmm. superfoods and then even the industrial applications by replacing styrofoam and packaging and building materials and insulation and there's all kinds of cool industrial sides of the plan. It goes hand in hand with hemp, really. It does. It's it is
1: quite similar in, in it also in terms of its religious challenges as well. So, you know, I guess that's partly the reason the company chose me to, to support them, is because it is a very similar kind of kind of industry. So yeah, very happy to to help people doing um, these wonderful things that they help people and planet.
0: Yeah. So I talked to my Fata from Manitoba Harvest, oh, a couple months back, and he left Manitoba, and he's out there doing a variety of natural products and investing, and he's involved with some mushroom companies as well. I think Ohm Mushrooms.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is.
0: Seems to be a easy transition from the hemp space into that space.
1: <laughs> now, I don't know if I'd say I'm transitioning. I think I'm just widening my network. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I'll ever not be in the cannabis or hemp industry. But, you know, we're all stepping away from it, really. I'm just stepping back from a different perspective and supporting teams in the best way that we can. And, you know, again, we're, we're literally all together in this. Um, you know, I, I welcome you know, more people joining this industry as long as for, for their sake, they can do it sustainably. So that's why it's been a really hard year for everybody because a lot of people have stepped in, I believe, for some greedy reasons. and and And, and that, you know, leads to only one kind of exit, really. Um, which is painful, and um, we could we could all save ourselves from that if we work together and communicate together, uh, you know, come and, and, and talk to each other, more directly, but be honest, be true, and I think that's um, very important for all of us these days.
0: I totally agree. So, is there anything else on your horizon? Anything you want to kind of wrap things up with here?
1: No, 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 not, nothing else particularly um except you know maybe just, just share with people that you know to remember the small things that's my current practice is you know dealing with all these big projects and, and a lot of them very serious issues and all around the world and and it's really important for me to get my hands in the dirt still I love getting my hands in the dirt I'm just preparing my my front garden for for, for big hemp plants and just literally doing it by hand. I don't want to do it in any big scale. It's just for fun and getting out, you know, and, and just doing those small things, helping people in one small way at a time, whether it be your, your local shopkeeper um, who is serving you something, you know, let's remember to look them in the eye, and appreciate that they've come in their own journey and their own way to wherever they are in life and that we're all connected, truly are in that we all have our own stories so even when we meet people are upset or angry let's not take it personally let's recognize that you know we we it's now time to you know be empathetic to each other to recognize um that we have to really work together where we we are at it's not just where i am at where we are at so i look forward to working with this ongoing community. And thank you very much, Morris, for keeping this community together by keeping the conversation open, flowing, and moving to wherever it may move to.
0: Well, and thank you for all of the things that you've done and continue to do and contribute to the industry and, and beyond and to the world, because I do believe that we are all connected, just like you said. And it's really going to take all of us to to come into that consciousness and that awareness so we can make the changes that we need to make because time is limited, as you said at the very beginning. we got to make some things happen pretty quickly here. Otherwise, humanity might not have a whole lot of time left.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, and the Earth doesn't care about that. Mushrooms will continue to exist. They'll they exist will a lot longer than us. Sure. So. Let's enjoy, enjoy every moment as we can
0: all right well thanks again for your time today paul and uh, i look forward to seeing you in person again one of these days hopefully you can make it back to the u.s here before the end of the year i hope so namaste all right namaste see ya the third annual southern hip expo is now open for exhibitor and sponsor registration This year's event will take place at the Convention Center in Raleigh, North Carolina on September 2nd through the 4th, where we will have three days of conferences, seminars and workshops, 250 plus exhibitors, and numerous networking and entertainment opportunities. For more information, check out southernampexpo.com. And that is going to wrap it up for episode nine of Volume Up, the Let's Talk Hemp Podcast. And I again want to thank Mr. Paul Benham from the Hemp Plastic Company Elixinol Wellness and Hemp Foods Australia for joining me on this episode. You can find out more about Paul and his ventures at the links listed in the episode details. Be sure to check out our website at letstalkhemp.com and subscribe to our weekly Let's Talk Hemp newsletter for the most up-to-date information on the hemp industry. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please hit that subscribe button on the player, share it with your friends and family, and if you're feeling it, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you came across the show. If you are interested in sponsoring, advertising, or being a future guest, drop us a message to info at letstalkhemp.com. And until next time, we'll catch you on the other side.